It's the 10th of August, 2021. So this time now is the time for us to train our minds, to give them mindfulness. So we take up and know this in-breath, and we know the out-breath. And this is what we call anapanasati. So this knowledge of knowing the breath, as we're doing this, we don't control the breath. We don't force it to be short or long. But rather we just take up the breath as our object of focus and we know, we know what it's like. When the breath comes in, then we know that. When the breath goes out, we know that. If it's short or if it's long, then we know that. And so we carry on with this knowing, this awareness. And we can use a meditation word with that as well. So on the in-breath, we can recite Bud. And on the out-breath, Do. The in-breath, Bud. And the out-breath, Do. So we keep our mindfulness like this. And really set our hearts that at this time, it's the time for us to be training our minds, to be cultivating them. That right now we're just sitting by ourselves. And even though we may be in our houses or in a Dharma hall with many, many people around us, but we bring up this perception that I'm sitting just by myself. And then we bring up our mindfulness over this breath, knowing the breath, knowing the in-breath, the out-breath in this way. It's normal, however, that our minds will go and think about different things. Think of things which have passed already, proliferate, speculate about the future. Perhaps it may worry, get anxious over different things. What we try to do is to bring our minds and our mindfulness back into this present moment, knowing here and now, to have mindfulness in this way. Mindfulness over the breath, over the meditation word, until this word of Buddha just disappears by itself without our intending for that to happen. At that point, we just keep our awareness, knowing this breath, the in-breath and the out-breath. And then certain feelings start to arise within the mind. It becomes more and more at ease the proliferation starts to reduce. And our mindfulness becomes very firm with this breath. And eventually, both the body and the mind will feel very buoyant, until there's no interest in the breath whatsoever anymore. There's just a clear knowing that's there. And sometimes in the practice, there won't be any feeling of a body at all. It's like we're just sitting by ourselves, just this one mind, and there's emptiness, there's stillness, and the heart fills up with joy. It feels like there's no body whatsoever. And so there can be a great sense of stillness and peace at this point when we meditate. And then when the mind starts to retract from this peaceful state, then we may ask ourselves, where am I sitting? And we just don't know. When there's no feeling of having a body, then we don't know where we are. 
There's this peace that arises. There's vitaka, vichara. And what that means is lifting up the breath as the object of our minds and sustaining our minds with that. So vitaka and vichara, it's not thinking. It's not thinking as we normally perceive it in the world, but rather it's um, having this awareness over the breath, lifting up and sustaining our awareness with that in order for peace to arise, in order for joy to come up, to fill the heart, in order for happiness to imbue our hearts and become very firm, the heart can become firm in this state. And so it's the opposite um, from what worldly thinking does to us. And sometimes people are having a lot of stress, a lot of suffering, and um, their chests feel very tight. And uh, it's difficult for the oxygen to flow well, for the breath to flow well. But when the mind is in a state of samadhi, then there's a lot of happiness and joy there. And it's just natural when it's in this state, in this place of peace, that there will be this joy that comes up. And when this fills up the heart, then this goes into sukha, some happiness arises. And if we become very skilled at this, become skilled at stillness, then the samadhi can gather together into one point. It can be just this one-pointedness, one-placedness, um, over a, an object, and the mind gathers together into one thing, it unifies. And there's this peace that arises, a respite um, from the chaos, from the frantic thinking that normally goes on. So this is talking about anapanasati, this mindfulness of the breath. And if we are able to practice in the way, in this way, then our meditation becomes easier. Because we know for ourselves how to do it, we know what it's like. So the meditation objects that we use, the way in which we are cautious and composed and restrained throughout the day, that whether we're standing, walking, sitting, lying down, then we maintain our composure. Whether we're drinking, eating, thinking, then we're cautious and composed. And all of this is for the sake of inner peace. And when the mind reaches this, then practice becomes easier. And at this point, then we can gain a knowledge and understanding into the Dhamma. But one of the coarse things that the mind has been attached to and stuck on for a very long time is a view that is very deeply, deeply embedded within the heart. This view of me and mine. And we're just not able to extract that just like the blood within the body, and perhaps we've gone to donate blood before, um, donated 300 cc of this blood. <coughs> and if there's a lot of attachment within our mind, then we'll think that this is my blood, even when it's outside of the body. But if the mind is more still, more refined, um, then a knowledge will come up, a certain perception will come up, that this is just an element, that it's only blood following conventions, that we just suppose that it's blood, 
And that blood, it doesn't say anything, it doesn't claim anything about itself. We say that it's a water element, but the blood doesn't make that claim. It's just natural for it to be the way it is. It's just that we suppose these things into being. We suppose that these kinds of things, that which is liquid, that which flows, is the water element. Uh, But really, these things, they don't have this kind of supposition, these kinds of conventions. So if knowledge arises, then we can see that this is not self. The blood that's outside of the body is not me. And we can also then see that the things inside the body are not me either. And we can ask ourselves, what is it that this body contains? The skin that covers over it, covers over the blood. And there's two liters of blood within the body. But none of this is me or mine. And if our samadhi is well established, then this kind of knowledge can arise within us. But for this to happen, it requires our effort. It requires practicing, keeping at it every single day. And when the mind reaches peace, then this clarity of insight, of knowledge, will arise. But if there's no peace, then it just won't be clear. So we want to know what that's like, what seeing the Dhamma is like. Because in the present moment, every day that we live, we have a lot of stress, we have a lot of suffering. There's a lot of thinking that goes on in the mind, a lot of proliferation. And perhaps we want to be freed from that. We don't want to have these kinds of thoughts. But these ways of thinking, um, we have had them for a very long time. We've been trained in them ever since we were children. Trained to compare things constantly. That I am better or I am equal, or I am worse. And we attach in this way. And so there are these nine kinds of conceit. So perhaps we're better, but we attach to that as being self. And really attach that I actually am better. Or we have the understanding that I'm equal, or I'm lower. Or perhaps we are equal, but we think that we're higher. Or we may think we're equal or lower. And some people may be lower, and um, they may really be lower, but really lower in terms of conventions. But they attach and believe that they're higher, or they're equal, or they're actually lower. So there are these nine kinds of conceit. And it's normal that the mind clings to these, and it's not easy for us to extract them to try to abandon these thoughts, these thinking, the ways of thinking that I am higher, I am equal, I am lower. But what we can do to work against this, um, these kinds of conceit, is to reflect upon death and to think that all beings, everyone has to die. And so we pick up this death as our object of reflection and think how in a hundred years' time, then everyone who's now in the world won't be here anymore. Everyone will have disappeared. And all that will be left of them is ash. There's nothing more than that. 
uh, we claim that these things are me and mine, that when these four elements are together and in a completed state, um, then we claim these kinds of things. But when our breath finishes, then the fire element leaves the body and the water element starts to rot and then the body begins to decay and it slowly breaks down. It's the bones that take a long time to decay. <clears throat> but if there's a strong fire that's burning the body, it doesn't take so long and everything disappears, that there's nothing left at all. But the mind it attaches to these elements it attaches to these as being self. So the Buddha, he found the path to freedom from suffering. And if we practice following this path, this path of virtue, collectedness and wisdom, then we'll be able to experience that freedom from dukkha, freedom from suffering. We'll be able to see into the Dhamma, to understand the Dhamma, but we have to do it for real. We have to really take this on. And just like how athletes train, and those who train um, to be able to become world champions, they really need to, to stick at it, to really go for it, to not hold back, to set their hearts on that training. And so if these athletes had set their hearts on training in sila, samadhi, and panya, on virtue, collectedness, and wisdom, then there'll probably be a lot of people who understand the Dhamma. Because they're very skilled at training, and they can do so in a, an organized way, uh, following a system. So for us, it's like we're a kind of athlete, but the work that we have is extremely difficult, because we are competing against the world champion. We're competing against these defilements of greed, aversion, and delusion. But the Buddha, he found this path, and he himself was able to free himself from these defilements so that they didn't affect him in any way. And he saw that these defilements, greed, hatred, and delusion are within the minds of all beings. And so he taught the methods of practice to free themselves from them, to find freedom from suffering. But in order to gain this, we really need to be sincere. We need to set our hearts, we need to take the practice on for real. And the things which obstruct our progress, um, one of them is sleepiness. And if we're sitting and we're feeling drowsy, then we should open up our eyes. We shouldn't just let this drowsiness go on and on and sit there nodding off, but rather we open up our eyes. And if we... Um, or perhaps, and sometimes there may be a lot of doubts as well uh, that can be going on. Or the mind can be very scattered, a lot of restless thinking. And so these things, they work to obstruct the mind from gathering into samadhi. And when they're present, then we're just not able to see in the Dhamma, into the Dhamma. And that's because of these things, because of these hindrances. And there's anger, there's lust, ill will, proliferation. And perhaps we just see a form, and that's enough for anger to arise and for the peace to leave. Or maybe a sight can inspire 
fear or hatred or love, and there's no peace at all in the mind. Or there can be a lot of thinking, there's restlessness going off into the past, off into the future, or we can doubt about all kinds of things. And these are abstractions in our meditation practice, that which prevents peace from arising. There may be a lot of thinking and maybe some strange thoughts that are going on. And we may be asking ourselves, why is my mind just thinking like this? Why are there all these kinds of thoughts? We may tell it to stop, but it doesn't listen. It doesn't follow our orders. We're not able to control it. And that's because we've trained the mind in this way for such a long time. Trained it to think, trained it to proliferate for many, many lives now. It's not just this life. But we should contemplate um, in terms of this life and um, really take the practice on in this life and try to stop these uh, the mind from thinking in this way. And so if it's carrying on thinking, then we can press uh, our tongues against the roofs of our mouths or we can halt our breath for a period of time. We can try breathing in very deeply, breathing out very deeply. And this is actually quite a good thing to do in this present moment because it's a way of strengthening our lungs. So we breathe in very deeply, breathe out very deeply and do this three times. And the mind should have a degree of peace by doing this. And then we start anew, we take up the breath again. Or perhaps if there's thinking, then we can press um, our tongues against the roof of our mouths and our thinking should get shorter. Or we can stop our breath for periods of time to reduce the thinking, to bring the mind to peace. Or we take up this meditation word of Buddha. And if the mind is drowsy, then we recite Buddha very quickly. Or if it's thinking a lot, we recite Buddha very quickly. And if there's a lot of sleepiness, then we can get up and walk. So it can be quite often that during this period of time, from 8pm till 10pm, that people get drowsy very easily. And I've seen this, um, many instances of this, and it's something that we should be careful of, uh, because I've seen that Many people just don't progress in their meditation due to this drowsiness. So if we're sitting there and nodding off, sitting and sleeping, and this goes on for an hour or so, then we don't really get anywhere. And so there have been instances of this where monks are just nodding off every time they sit in meditation. And... So there's one case of this, and then a novice came along and asked, why is it that, why is it that these Krubhajans, why are these monks just sleeping all the time? He wanted to know. He saw the monks nodding off in this way. And this happens because we get into the habit of doing it, get into the habit of as soon as we sit, then we nod off, we fall asleep. So we need to be very careful about that. And if it's happening, it shows that our mindfulness is weak. So we should raise up our mindfulness and apply it to this word of Buddha. Or we can try thinking and um, bringing up different perceptions, thinking that the people who are sitting next to us, they have COVID. And if they really did have COVID, would we be drowsy? 
we'd find that um, dangerous, wouldn't we? We'd be very cautious, wouldn't we? Or we can think that there's a cobra right next to us. And so if we're doing walking meditation, walking back and forth, and then we can think, well, do the people around us, do they have COVID? Is there a cobra right next to us? We can sit like we're sitting right next to a cobra. Or we can sit like the people right next to us have COVID. And if we do this, then we shouldn't be drowsy. So we try to establish our minds in this way. And if we are doing this and we're still sleepy, then we need to put up a fight. We can get up and walk. So these five nivaranas or hindrances, they obstruct samadhi from arising. And we need to train ourselves to overcome them. When we're meditating, we can bring up these words of buddho, dhammo, or sangho. And when I went to train in a charnel ground, I sometimes ask myself, why am I not sleepy here? Because normally you get sleepy right when we meditate. Wake up at 3 a.m., go to sleep at maybe 10 or 11 p.m. And so it's normal to be drowsy. But in those cremation grounds, charnel grounds, I wasn't sleepy at all. There was always buddha going on within my mind. My samadhi was, or my sati, my mindfulness, was very good. And if I went to walk, or if I sat, then I needed to keep this mindfulness there with me. I needed to be training myself in this way. Because of the fear that was coming up. And there is fear that comes up staying and practicing in these channel grounds because many, many people have died in those places. And so with that fear, then the mindfulness becomes established all by itself. And it was very good for me, this mindfulness. If I was moving my left hand, then I would be mindful of that. Moving my right hand or stepping with my left leg, my right leg, there'd be mindfulness of all of those movements. My mindfulness wouldn't go anywhere. If I was um, getting off my platform, the bamboo platform that I was staying on, then there'd be a lot of mindfulness there over the movements. And so for monks, we can train ourselves like this. Uh, But for laity, you can think that staying in a society that's quite frantic, and that if we're able to maintain a sense of peace within all that chaos, then this is something really great, that we're doing a really good job to have peace within chaos. So we should try training ourselves like this, so that samadhi arises, so that wisdom can manifest, so that we can gain knowledge, so that we can gain understanding over this body, seeing it for what it is, seeing how the blood, the pus, the lymph, the bones within this body, they're not self. And through this, then, the mind becomes peaceful. And when the mind is at respite, in a calm state, then this wisdom arises. So all the training that we do, the training to be frugal, to be content with little, uh, to eat just one time a day, or maybe two times a day, to keep the five precepts, the eight precepts, it's all for the sake of inner peace. And this gives us a lot of benefits. 
So we see that developing samadhi it gives us more benefits than taking care of the precepts. And so we should train in this, set our minds on it, so that we gain an energy of heart. We have a very good opportunity now. And we just don't know what's going to happen in the future. Perhaps we'll be lying in a hospital bed, sick. Maybe our lungs have been infected. And it's really difficult in that state for us to practice. If we have great mindfulness, if our mindfulness is really strong, then we'll be able to practice in that state. But it's hard. So what we need to do now is to practice now, to train ourselves now, while things aren't so difficult. To set our hearts on walking this path of sila, samadhi and panya. Because the Buddha, he did all the difficult work already in finding that path, and he's told us about it, and so it's quite easy for us. And discovering that path, it's really not something easy at all. And for us to be able to meet with this, to meet with these teachings, to gain knowledge of this, it's no small matter. And so we've discovered or we've met this path that's able to cure all our suffering. And when we've met with this path, then surely we should hurry to walk it. That we should bring up our efforts, we should practice to the fullest of our abilities and really set our hearts that we need to know and to see the Dhamma. As one time I was staying with Limpucha and I was doing walking meditation and it was like Limpucha, he knew my thoughts. That as, as I was walking back and forth, I was wondering what the fastest way of practice is. I wanted to know the quickest route, the shortcut. And so Lumpucha, he gave a talk and he told me that the fastest route is the mind that isn't given to liking or disliking. And we need to train our minds in this way. When I heard this, I gained great confidence. And there was a lot of joy and happiness that both my body and my mind were felt buoyant for months. And I set my heart on training on this path. Because the knowledge that I had gained before, um, seeing all things as not-self, um, this was a knowledge that I gained, but delusion came back again. So I needed to practice so that wisdom could arise anew, so that I could gain this clarity of insight again. So if we train ourselves in this way, um, then we'll be able to get there, we'll be able to gain this knowledge within this life and it won't take us long. But if we carry on on this path, then we need to see into the Dhamma. So may all of you set your hearts upon this.